You are Locked On Titans, your daily Tennessee Titans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Titans podcast. I am your host, Tyler Rowland. Titans fans, this crossover Thursday edition of the Locked On Titans podcast is presented by Pepsi. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this year. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Pepsi. Titans fans, it is a crossover Thursday, and that means we have Peter Bukowski on from the Locked on Titans podcast to help us get ready for this big primetime matchup against the Green Bay Packers on Sunday Night Football. And when I tell you that this is the most schematically driven, in-depth football conversation I have ever had on this podcast. I'm not lying. So prepare yourselves. It is a fantastic conversation between me and Peter, and I am really excited to get into it with you guys. Before we jump into that crossover Thursday conversation with Peter Bukowski, though, we are going to talk about the first injury reports for both teams starting off this week. With the holiday ahead, these initial injury reports may tell us a little bit more more since we may not get the status reports we normally do later in the week. So I will break down everything going on with both teams injury reports for the Titans. There is one big cause for concern for the Tennessee Titans potentially. I'll tell you how concerned Titans fans should be and who this player is. And then for the Packers, I will tell you why, despite having the longest list of injured players of any opponent the Titans have had all year, we should not expect to see a lot of those players missing the game. So we are going to dive into the injury reports for both teams first. Then that crossover Thursday conversation with Peter Bukowski from the Locked On Packers podcast. Podcast. So an in-depth, schematically driven crossover Thursday edition of the Locked On Titans podcast. Let's get it. three players who did not practice on Wednesday, four players who were limited, and then three players who were full participants. And we will start with the good news. The Titans saw Kenny Vaccaro, the safety, who missed last week's game with an illness as a full participant in Wednesday's practice. So that's great news to see him be full directly after a missed game. And then we saw tight end Jeff Swaim as a full participant on Wednesday as he recovers from an ankle injury suffered in the Jaguars game. So Again, good to see a player who missed last week's game be a full participant on Wednesday. That should put them on track to play on Sunday night. Then, guard Roger Saffold, and this may be the most optimistic news that came off of the Titans injury report. He's been dealing with a multitude of different lower body injuries throughout the year, but right now he is suffering most from a toe injury. But despite that toe injury and coming out of Sunday's game against the Lions early, he was a full participant in Wednesday's practice and in such a big matchup for the Titans having their starting left guard and arguably their best offensive lineman will be key as they will need to run the ball against the Green Bay Packers defense that has allowed players to get loose on the ground 
in their losses this season. Moving into the players who were limited on Wednesday, we saw special teams ace Chris Milton limited with a knee injury, linebacker David Long limited with a neck injury, center Ben Jones limited with a knee injury, and wide receiver A.J. Brown limited with an ankle injury. Starting from the end, A.J. Brown has been dealing, again, just like Roger Saffold, a ton of different lower body injuries throughout the year. The bruised knee, now the ankle injury, but he continues to battle through. So A.J. Brown will probably miss some practices later on in the week as part of his maintenance, but he is a guy you can rely on, and he will be out there on Sunday night. Same with Ben Jones, a key part of the Titans banged up offensive line. So if Ben Jones can't go, that would be a a big area of concern. But being limited on Wednesday and knowing the pattern of his injury status throughout the the season so far. You expect Ben Jones to go. The biggest area of concern here, though, is David Long. The Titans are thin at linebacker already with Jayon Brown being out for the season with an elbow injury. David Long is really their only linebacker on the roster that can provide every down support. So, got to keep an eye on David Long. A neck injury is very concerning, so hopefully he'll be able to get healthy to play in this game. The Titans' defense certainly needs him. And then cornerback Chris Milton limited. He is mostly a special teams player, absolutely a special teams player, doesn't really add any value for the Titans defense, but in a big matchup with two good teams, having your best special teams performance would be a big help. And then finally, the less than great news, Jeff Simmons did not practice Wednesday with a knee, but I would consider that general maintenance. Same with tackle Dennis Kelly with a knee injury, who's been missing the early parts of practice all season long dealing with his knee, but the big area of concern, the the one that could be potentially a major area of concern for the Titans and their fans going forward is cornerback Adoree Jackson missing Wednesday's practice with a knee injury. Now, the optimistic view here is that the Titans coaching staff is just resting Adoree Jackson after his first game of the year. That would make a lot of sense, but the more pessimistic view here is that Adoree Jackson, who got hurt early in the season training session, not preseason, but the uh, the ramp up to the regular season, who got hurt early with a knee injury, came back, was designated to return, and then did not become active and put on the active roster until the full 21-day period had expired and then was not active for multiple weeks after that on game days and wasn't practicing. So clearly at some point in time, he suffered a setback in his rehab. So to see him play in his first action and get limited snaps and then not be able to practice the next time that he needed to, that's a bit concerning. But of course, this could just be the general maintenance plan for Adoree Jackson going forward. But the Titans defense certainly needs him out out there if they want to make a Super Bowl push this year. So that is something that we will have to watch going forward throughout the week. As for the Packers injury report, they had 20 players listed, but last week they had 16 and only two ended up missing the game. So no real areas of concern for the Green Bay Packers. Out of those 20, five players did not practice on Wednesday. The only one of them that makes a significant impact on the game plan week to week is backup running back Jamal Williams, who missed with a quad injury. But now, their other backup running back and high draft pick, A.J. Dillon from Boston College, has returned to the roster after a bout with COVID, so they wouldn't be missing a lot if Jamal Williams wouldn't be able to go. 
but you would be missing a lot if you didn't continue listening to this crossover Thursday edition of the Locked On Titans podcast because my conversation with Peter Bukowski from the Locked On Packers podcast is coming up next and it is fantastic folks. I can't think of a better, let me phrase it this way. I believe that in the entire world, in the entire universe, there is not a more schematically driven conversation that could get you ready for this game that is better than the conversation that me and Peter had. His knowledge of the Packers and what they do on offense and defense, me breaking down things that we should expect from the the Titans, both me and Peter, you can rely on us to really dive deep into these matchups, and we both did a ton of film study this week to get ready for this game, and we're giving all of that to you guys. I am really, really excited. I'm sure you can tell to to get you guys into this conversation. I really think it might be the best content that, that I put out to you guys. So I really hope you do enjoy. And I will be putting out a game preview edition of the show on Friday, on Christmas. Now I know that everybody's pretty busy on the holiday, but just due to the way that the system is set up logistically, uh, it makes more sense for me to drop the episode on Friday morning rather than two on Thursday. So uh, feel free to get to that during your holiday commute on Friday if you have time to do so uh, on Saturday, whenever. But want to make sure that you guys have your five days of the Locked On Titans podcast. And since I'm putting out you know holiday content for you guys, I'm also giving you this fantastic crossover. Over Thursday conversation. Make sure that you subscribe to the Locked On Titans podcast for all the content that will be coming up Monday through Friday on the show all year round. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Tic Tac Titans for the Tic Tac Titan film breakdowns that I post on there that go along with the things we talk about on the show. Uh, other than that, happy holidays, guys. It is time to dive into the crossover Thursday conversation of the decade. Now, before we do, I do want to tell you guys about Built Bar the best tasting protein bar on the planet. Built Bar had a promo code running with us earlier in the year and we sold out their inventory. The product is so delicious. And now they have six even more deliciouser flavors to go along with the 12 originals. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp, The bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. They're great even if you're on a keto diet. They're incredibly versatile. They're great as a meal substitute. They're great as a healthy snack. I got to recommend Built Bar to the max. And even if you use the promo code locked on before, you can use it again. It is a new relaunch. So go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code locked on. And you'll get 20% off your next order. Once again, use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. Are you ready for some football? College football heads, it's bowl season and there are some big matchups this weekend. The NFL regular season is finishing up and the playoff picture is becoming clear. There's only one place that has you covered and one place that we here at the Locked On Podcast Network trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. There are big matchups every week in the NFL. We're getting some of college football's top games, and the NBA season is kicking off. So don't sit on the sideline anymore. 
Get in on the action. Don't forget, use that promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And if you need expert advice on how to place your wagers on the betonline.ag sportsbook, then you have to listen to the Locked On Bets podcast, a new podcast from the Locked On Podcast Network. Your boy Q from the Locked On Raiders podcast is heading things up. It is a great way to get ready for all of the big time sports opportunities that you will have to bet on coming up during the holiday season. So make sure you check out the new podcast from the Locked On Podcast Network locked on bets. All right, locked on Packers, locked on Titans, a week 16 heavyweight matchup between two teams fighting for playoff positioning, two teams that have a lot at stake for this Sunday night football game, and two teams that that share a lot of similarities because of where these two teams come from. With Tyler Rowland from Locked On Titans, I, of course, am Peter Bukowski from Locked On Packers. And Tyler, as we look at this game, there is a little bit of a mirror image um, in that the Packers and Titans each have this main strength that is buttressed by defensively anyway, buttressed by the fact that they can also go to the perfect thing to counter that main strength for the Titans. It's that run game. And then they can come off it with the play action and just absolutely destroy teams. If you were looking at this team against the Packers, what do you think green Bay can do to slow down this Titans offense and what have other teams done that have had any modicum of success in doing that? Because it hasn't been very many this season. Well, uh, I like what you said there about it being a, a mirror image game. That's I did a little bit of a film study on my Wednesday episode, uh, talked about what I saw on film from the Packers, and that was my big takeaway. The Titans basically get to play themselves in, yeah. in a way. There are some slight differences, um, but for the Packers in terms of the, the defense stopping Derrick Henry and the Titans running game, I think one thing that really disrupts zone schemes is interior pressure, gap penetration, quick gap penetration because the zone run for Derrick Henry, especially the wide zone, the the inside zone can hit a little quicker, but the wide zone, it takes a little bit of time and Derrick Henry kind of reads the forest and decides which path he's going to take. Is he going to take the straight on? Is he going to bounce out? Is he going to cut back? It does take some time to develop. So if you can quickly penetrate gaps and get into the backfield and stop Derrick Henry one, two yards in the backfield before he picks his hole and gets a, a head of steam, then you can have at least some success. Now, sometimes you're going to get in the backfield and you're going to bounce off that monster of a running back in Derrick Henry. It's just a reality. So he's going to get some successful plays where you have them hemmed up in the backfield. It's the reality. But for the course of a game to win enough times to beat this offense and and get them in third and long situations and get Tannehill out of play action situations, to do that, you got to uh, have a lot of interior penetration. And I think one of the ways that the Packers can do that 
uh, that I'm worried about is something I saw on tape that they did against the Vikings earlier in the year, and they used Zadarius Smith as kind of a movable chess piece. They went with four-man fronts and blitzed him up the middle, and I think doing that with probably your best uh, front seven player in Zadarius Smith, moving him around and have him shoot gaps in the interior rather than playing on the edge, that's a good way that they can disrupt the timing on the Titans' outside zone. Yeah, something the Packers have done over the last month or two is they've they've lined up Zadarius Smith next to Kenny Clark and said, all right, pick someone with a double team, we dare you. And it, it has worked uh, with great success, especially lately here. I want to stick uh, with the offense here for a second because Corey Davis is someone who I loved coming out of college. Uh, it seemed like early in his career, maybe he was overdrafted, maybe he was overrated as a prospect. And yet this season he has broken out. He looks every bit of, the, the high first round pick that we we saw him uh, at least as a college player. What has changed for him this season that makes him so dangerous? Because it really does seem that it fundamentally changes their offense. When you have Derrick Henry, that's one thing. And then you have AJ Brown, that's another. But to have that second receiver that you really have to account for, now all of a sudden, not only do you have to have guys in the box to account for this great running back, you can't give safety help just to one side because Corey Davis is just as capable of beating you anywhere on the field. Yeah, Corey Davis has taken advantage of that extra attention that A.J. Brown gets. Uh, We've seen numerous occasions this year where teams will play man coverage against the Titans, which in my opinion is the right coverage to go to in in third down situations against the Titans primarily. Uh, You can't telegraph what you're doing, but uh, the big thing there is Corey Davis is going to have one-on-one matchups and man coverage, and he's been able to take advantage of those this year. And if you want to look at two primary reasons that I would place the majority of the credit to Corey Davis's kind of explosion here and him becoming the receiver that people thought he could be. It's health, number one, which is always so important. Look at Alvin Kamara last year for the Saints. Everybody was like, oh, is Alvin Kamara the player we thought he was? And then you find out he had a tore up knee all year and now he's back looking incredible again. So Corey Davis was healthy. Um, this year, and that's been the number one component, but also his route running has really gone to the next level. I wouldn't say he's one of the most pristine route runners in the league, like a Stephon Diggs or, or a Tay Adams, like you guys see on a week-to-week basis, but uh, his personal growth as a route runner has been um, the biggest key to his on-field success other than just generally being healthy, and when you're playing against man coverage, you know, route running is is even more important than against zone because you're going to have to create separation with a guy only focused on you. So those two things, his route running, taking a a step up and then him just being healthy. But the reality is with Corey Davis, he was overdrafted. His talent is not even the best version of Corey Davis. Isn't worth a number five overall pick. He's not AJ green. He's not Julio Jones. He's not a guy like that. Um, But also he was probably uh, with Marcus Mariota at quarterback I mean, that had to, he even still had a very productive second season with 890 receiving yards. So, with Marcus Mariota at quarterback, the system with Mike Malarkey and Terry Robisky, that's going to limit you as a player in your development, anyways. And then Ryan Tannehill shows up last year in the middle of the season. Corey Davis wasn't healthy and they never got that rhythm. So, really, we're just seeing what Corey Davis can be in a competent offense. I think he is a very, very solid high end wide receiver, too, in the NFL. Are they going to have to pay him this offseason? You know, that has been a big debate 
on in the Titans fan base and even amongst people who cover the team, I originally was like, hey, look at all of the stud young wide receivers we've seen come in the league in the first and second round in recent years. The Titans cannot pay Corey Davis 10 to $13 million a year when they could go out and draft a wide receiver. Look at A.J. Brown. He was a 51st pick in the draft. So how can you justify paying a guy like Corey Davis, who, like I said, is a high-end wide receiver too in the league, but you can get a high-end wide receiver too in the second round in the NFL draft. But... With what we've seen now, the Titans' defense is not there, and it may take another offseason to get close to being a good defense. So I don't think you can break up the core of the offense right now, and that's Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Ryan Tannehill, and Corey Davis. So in my opinion, if it's cutting John, or if it's letting Jonu Smith and Jayon Brown walk in free agency, cutting Adam Humphreys, trying to restructure Malcolm Butler's expensive deal, even if it goes as far as having to cut him, even though he's having a solid season, uh, I think all those things need to happen for them to bring Corey Davis back because the reality is in the draft, the Titans are going to have to focus on the defense. Yeah, let's talk about that defense because I was I was looking at it earlier in the week um, before I you know really got a chance to settle in and, and watch some of the film on this team. And it was like, the, these are names. We know these players and, and we know that, that a lot of them have been good players or at least talented players in the past. And yet this defense has just, they have vacillated between bad and really bad this season. And uh, it, it's sort of uh, surprising to me. And, and yet when you watch them on tape, it, it, in some ways it sort of all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It does make sense. And it, to me, I think the reality is the, the Titans weren't a good defense last year either. They were just better uh, on third downs. They weren't historically bad on third downs, and they were um, a little bit better as a scoring defense. But what they're doing this year is the reason the defense is surviving is because they're getting turnovers. And that that's a that is a formula for success in the NFL. If you have a, a high end offense and a defense that maybe isn't great but can force a couple turnovers in a game, that's the Titans' recipe right now in formula. If they still think they can win a Super Bowl, but th- I think the scheme put players in a good position last year and made them play up to their potential. And this year, there's been a coaching drop-off. The Titans lost defensive back coach Kerry Coombs. He went back to Ohio State to be the defensive coordinator. Uh, They lost inside linebacker coach Tyrone McKenzie. He went to the Detroit Lions for a similar position. That's still kind of a mystery here. Uh, They Obviously, the biggest one is losing defensive coordinator Dean Pease. So now you're seeing Jim Hazlitt, Anthony Midget, and Mike Vrabel have elevated, and Shane Bowen, the outside linebacker coach, have elevated roles or new roles in the defense. And there's only one answer there. It's basically the same players and a big drop-off in, in performance. It's only logical that we we point to the coaching at some point. And there's been alignment issues. Uh, you know, it's third and four. You got the cornerback 12 yards off. Uh, alignment issues when teams come out in a bunch formation. The Titans are in man and figuring out how they're going to switch those or who's lining up in press, who's lining up off. All of those different things. If you watch the Titans' defense on tape, there's a lot of confusion a lot of the times. A lot of late conversation in the play clock trying to figure out who's got who moving around. So clearly the coaching has not gotten these guys in the right position. There's been a drop-off in individual play. Obviously, it's both coaching and playing. But the biggest difference is not the players this year and the players on the defense. It's the coaching. So to me, at this point, Mike Vrabel has to look himself in the mirror and hire a defensive coordinator over the offseason to try to fix this. And if the Titans even had a league average defense, they would probably be, they would have beaten the Bengals 
for sure, I would imagine. And uh, it would have kept them in some other games like the Steelers and, and the Browns game in the first half. So the Titans could be a totally different team with just a league average defense. And Mike Vrabel has himself to blame for that. And if they had just a league average special teams, they probably would have beat the Colts. And, and that's the reality Ooh. for this team. And uh, you add that to the mirror here because Green Bay special team, not very good. And yet the Titans have found a way to be worse this season. And that was a little, uh, honestly, though, that was a little bit, uh, the Titans special teams has not been good this year, but that, that was a tad bit of a blip on the radar. Uh, our longtime long snapper, Bo Brinkley, he had been with the team for eight seasons. He felt he got COVID this year, came back after two weeks and fell off a cliff after eight years of being the most solid guy on the roster in terms of performing his duty. He had a ton of bad snaps and in the game against the Bengals late in the game, he had a bad snap, which caused our pro bowl punter, Brett Kern, who I think's the best punter in the AFC. He got hit by somebody on a bad snap on a botched field goal, got hurt, was out to, uh, I think it was three weeks. And one of those weeks was against, the Indianapolis Colts, we had a first-time punter in Trevor Daniel and uh, a new long snapper, and you're right. I mean, 14-point swing that totally changed that game. So if the Titans just had a league-average defense and didn't have that weird, just complete blip on the radar by their longtime long snapper, maybe they are 13-1 and one or 14-1 or 13-2, and, one or 13 and two, what, what have you, you know, whatever it would end up being. But uh, yeah, there, there are definitely questions that have to be asked about the personnel on the defense, the personnel on special teams, and then Mike Vrabel and what he's done with the coaching staff on defense. Those are the two big weaknesses for the Titans. Yeah, by DVOA, Tennessee is the 29th ranked special teams in the NFL this year. The Packers just a tick better at 26. When we come <laughs> back, we flip the tables and Ty takes center stage trying to figure out what's going on with this Green Bay Packers team as we get ready for Sunday night football. Crossover Thursday conversation with this big primetime matchup, what could end up being one of the best games of the NFL season between the Tennessee Titans and the Green Bay Packers. Of course, I am Tyler Rowland from the Locked On Titans podcast. We got Peter Bukowski here from the Locked On Packers podcast. And Peter, we talked about the Titans before, but I kind of want to dive into the Green Bay Packers. And we talked about them being mirror images of each other, probably more on offense than defense defense, but on the offensive side of the ball, one of the big differences I noticed on tape between the Titans and the Packers offense is the Packers use of RPOs. They do a great job of mixing those in and seem to have a lot of success, especially on those smoke routes or those short routes out to Devontae Adams. So uh, what are the Packers doing with their RPO game and, and what has led them to have success with it? Well, what's so interesting about you asking me that this week is it's coming off a week where the RPO game against the Panthers had some early success and then the, the Titans, or excuse me, the Panthers made a little bit of an adjustment and all of a sudden they were sniffing out those RPOs. They were baiting Rodgers to throw not just the RPOs, but they have this um, built in, it's really a pre-snap RPO where if the corners are playing off and they have a run call on, Rodgers can can just stand up and make a throw outside to a receiver uh -huh. and you let Devontae Adams go cook. Well, yep. they did that a number of times where the corners were were really baiting Aaron Rodgers into making those throws. 
and they tackled really, really well. And and Matt LaFleur said after the game, look, this was part of the game plan. They thought that they could get these advantages on the outside, yeah. not a good tackling secondary, and they had their best tackling game of the season. Now, you're right. What, what the RPO does is it allows Aaron Rodgers to come up and just say, eat simple math. If, if we have numbers in the box, it's a run. And if there's numbers outside, then you throw the little smoke and they do it out of trips. A lot of times they do it out of some modified trips formations where you might have a tight end um, to that side and you've got a, a two by one or something like that. And, and they, they just throw it out to the two receiver side. If you've got a zone coverage look and the and the either the nickel defender or the safety is playing off. It's all just about basic numbers, and and they've been successful with it because Aaron Rodgers is one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league, and his release, his ability to get the ball out to the perimeter in a flash and do it, and this is a really underrated thing, I think, Tyler, is he is able to get the ball into the receiver's hands coming forward. He's not having to stop. He's not having to bend over or turn around. It is downhill. You make the catch and you're already in motion to now go make a move and create something after the catch. So even without the elite run after catch guys, I mean, the Packers don't have someone like AJ Brown who is going to take a slant for 80 yards because he makes one guy miss stiff arms, another guy and is off to the races. They have to manufacture it a little bit more. and, And this is one way that they've been able to do that. Yeah, well, that's funny because I was actually going to ask you about that. That's one thing that that I noticed from my tape study here. Aaron Rodgers, you think about Aaron Rodgers, and if you asked a casual fan, they're going to think about Aaron Rodgers launching the ball downfield, getting out of the pocket, these deep passes. But really what, what I saw a lot of was him almost going into a Tom Brady phase of his career where it's all about getting the ball out quick, getting it to the open guy, hitting the check down, not taking any contact, not taking any shots. Uh, he still got much more mobility than Tom Brady, so that that is always there. But would you agree with that assessment? Is that something that you, you've kind of seen a change now at Rodgers' age and – they're one of the best run after the catch teams, even though you said they don't have specific weapons for that. But that, is that an accurate, I guess, analysis of Rodgers this year? seems like he's really focused on getting the ball out quick and especially getting it out to the flats. Yeah, and and it's part of this offense. And I think one of the fundamental changes that Matt LaFleur made, um, if you look at his offense compared to, say, Mike McCarthy's, is there are way more predetermined reads where everything is set up to get one guy the ball or it's a levels read where it's just, um, you know, you, you have you're reading one defender. And if he's high, you throw underneath. If he's low, you throw over the top. And I think that has allowed Rodgers, not that he needed to have the game simplified for him necessarily, but I think what it did for him is he was the kind of guy, especially with Mike McCarthy, who always wanted to hit the big play. He always wanted to have that downfield shot. Well, this offense is designed to manufacture those shot plays off play action, much the way the the Titans set up shot plays. And um, the, the Packers have also have these built-in little Um, underneath routes where it's like, okay, the play is designed to go to this receiver. That's true of the Tom Brady offense in New England as well, where it was like everything is set up to get Julian Edelman in this position here. It's not a one, two, three true read in that way. And so what that has allowed Aaron Rodgers to do is say, okay, here is uh, where the ball is going. I'm going to get to the top of the drop and it's out. And he has bought into this offense and said, I trust the scheme. I trust the personnel. I trust the coach that when they call this play, it's going to work 
and I can hit the top of my drop and get the ball out. And so he's got his quickest um, average time to attempt. I think of his career, or at least at various points of his career, I haven't checked the numbers this week, but at various points of the season, it was the fastest of his career. Um, It's going to go down as one of the fastest, if not the fastest. And it is all because this offense has just made, it's built in some things that make his life easier. And while still, by the way, Tyler, keeping the things that make Rodgers great, there's still some off schedule stuff that, that is built in here. They're still going to go five wide, even out of heavy personnel and let Rodgers just pick matchups and go have fun. They they were able to keep the stuff that makes Rodgers great, the stuff that, you know, Trent Dilfer um, likes to talk about having, you know, a, a master's level understanding of the yeah. offense. Why, why would you take Rodgers out of, you know, all of the ways that he had mastered this old offense? No, you'd want to keep some of that stuff, right? And so Matt LaFleur this season, the biggest difference in this offense to me is the the incorporating of the the traits that make Rodgers special without having to incorporate the actual literal plays, which they kind of tried to do last year to really uneven success. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think Matt LaFleur's done a very good job kind of augmenting, you know, his offense around, you know, what you're saying, the traits that makes Rodgers special. I think the NBA season kicked off last night. So in honor of that and analogy, it's like James Harden, you know, uh, with the last year of McCarthy, Rodgers is out there playing his game like James Harden. He'll just go out there and play his game. But a good coach will come in and use those traits and find a way to, to focus them on things that are more efficient and more beneficial to the player. But I do want to transition to the defensive side of the ball. I know the offenses for both teams are the headliners. And one last thing I do want to mention, just something for the Packers fans and a a little bit of a tease for my Titans fans. Um, I do expect the Packers to use that RPO quick hitting pass out to Devontae Adams against Titans cornerback Adoree Jackson, who just returned or just returned to the football field for the first time this season last week. And he played about a third of the snaps. So they were kind of trying to dip his toe in the water. One thing about Adoree is he's a track star. He's a speed guy. He is not a physical guy. And coming off of an injury where he hasn't been on the field for most of the year, if I'm the Packers, I'm attacking Adoree Jackson and I'm forcing him to tackle over and over and over again. And uh, I I expect to see that a little bit. But talking about the defensive side of the ball, the Packers' defense obviously isn't up to par with the offense. Not quite as bad as the Titans' defense, though. But what do you think they're going to try to do to stop Derrick Henry? What do you see them, I guess, you've watched them all year take on different offenses. So what do you expect to see from the Packers' defense against Derrick Henry in this game? I think it's going to be a lot of looks, and that has always been a, a trait from Mike Patton. He ha- he came to to Green Bay, and the, in year one, it was a lot of designer blitzes. It was a lot of double mug, A-gap stuff, and they got caught. Good quarterbacks were able to identify where the pressure was coming from, and and Mike Patton really had to, to maneuver on the fly here. It helped. You had Zadarius Smith. You had Preston Smith. You had Adrian Amos, and suddenly you've got a, a, a group of guys who can more consistently win their one-on-one matchups. And so now what he's done is saying, okay, let's get funky with personnel. Let's play Raven Green at you know uh, the Will linebacker. Or let's play Rashawn Gary at three tech. Let's play Zadarius Smith at three tech. 
and make offenses account for that. Last year in the second half, they used Zedaria Smith, as you mentioned uh, earlier in the show, as this sort of rover blitzer penetrator. And he has the ability to just pre-snap decide, I'm going to go here. And, and, and Mike Penn says, look, if he, if he penetrates and wins, that's great. And, and that's what they prioritize over gap stability. Um, and so I think what they're going to have to do is, is give a lot of fronts to this, this Titans team. And then when, when they do get into third and longs, you have to get off the field. And so I think they're going to be able to, um, win some of those matchups on the outside. Some of the injuries at, at offensive tackle that the Titans have suffered, I think makes them potentially susceptible on the edge to guys like Zadarius Smith and Rashawn Gary. Big concern. Uh, and yeah, and, and even second and long, I, I think could be something, you know, if you win on first down and all of a sudden now it's second and eight, second and 10, are the Titans going to be um, disciplined enough to keep handing the ball to Derrick Henry? Yeah, probably. Right. I mean, I think, yeah. I think we've seen them do it enough over the course of the season. Other coaches are not quite as disciplined, but I, I think Green Bay is going to mix it up a lot in terms of the fronts that they're playing so that it's never easy to settle into a rhythm, whether it's the play action game whether it's the run game, I think you're going to see run blitzes. They've they've been using Darnell Savage as a run blitzer lately to to great effect. He has really come on in the last few weeks. He looks like he has star potential mm-hmm. um, and is starting to realize that here over the last month or so. So I, I think that has to be the plan. They're going to give you a bunch of different in terms of man looks, zone looks. They're not going to settle into one kind of thing. It's not going to be the Jair Alexander shadow AJ Brown show. I was going to ask about that, you know, with Corey Davis, like you mentioned earlier and AJ Brown. So you don't see a shadow situation with Alexander on Brown or Davis. No. And, and Mike Patton has been really hesitant and has said, oh, I mean, he's been asked about this because Jair Alexander's coming out party back in 2018 was when he locked down Brandon cooks in man coverage and really followed him all over the field and the slot on the boundary, wherever they put Brandon cooks, Jair Alexander was going to be there. And Mike Patton just doesn't like what that does from a predictability standpoint. I don't think against a veteran quarterback, he really wants to play that way. Now against the Eagles, a team that couldn't beat them down the field. They played a lot of single high safety. They played a lot of man coverage and they actually had sides on that. Jair Alexander played on the defense's left side. They shaded the single high safety to the other side and just said, this is the matchup and we're going to live with the outcome. I think you're going to see some of that because Kevin King is not playing very well right now. And and the matchup with Corey Davis is, is suboptimal. They're probably going to need to send some help there. Corey Davis um, especially has been good on some deep routes this year. But um, there, it's going to be again a, a thing about mixing coverages. They're going to want to mix designs, um, and and not let Ryan Tannehill get in a rhythm of okay, when it's too high, it's always going to be cover two or it's always going to be cover four, whatever it is. He just he he prizes Mike Patton does the um, the idea of um, uh, multiplicity in ways that a lot of coaches pay lip service to, and I think even it sometimes gets him in trouble, frankly. Yeah, yeah. I, I... Well, that's going to be something that we have to watch because I think the Titans are going to try to throw early on first down yep. in this game because of what you talked about and how they'll be focused on on the run and how important it is to not get yourself in second and long. I think that'll be even more important with the talent of Zadaria Smith on the outside. So that will be an interesting thing to watch. I, I can't wait for this game. Like, like I mentioned at the beginning, it is one of the best games the entire season. 
uh, at least on paper. So excited to watch that. It's been a great conversation. Uh, Peter, thank you for, uh, for talking with us and giving us as much information as you did. I think this may be the most schematically driven crossover conversation <laughs> I had all year. And I really appreciate that. And I'm sure our listeners will as well. It's a, it's a great week of prep for us to, to, if we, if, and you and I are both guys that are going to sit down and really watch and study it. Right. And, and it's a, it's a fun week to do that. Not every week, as you know, not every week is a fun week <laughs> to do that. So this is, I think it's going to be a great yes. game. Um, and I think, um, I, no outcome will surprise me in terms of who, who would win. I think the Packers have a slight advantage here. I just think they're a little bit better on offense and a little bit better on defense. Yeah. I think something like 33, 31, and and we get an absolute uh, dynamo of a football game. Yeah, I, I, I'm not completely settled on how I feel about the score because I could see a couple different outcomes. But I I agree with you that the I think the Packers and the Titans offense are similar enough that the gap between the defenses is what will make the defense. The Titans defense just won't be able to get a few stops. The Packers defense will be able to get a few stops. But I will say, I do have the Packers winning this game. I, I think it would probably be right around there, like 34 to 28, 34-27 is, is where I'm thinking right now. I love it. Should be a great game. And who knows? Could be. A, we, we never know what's going to happen in, in the right. playoffs. And we know the Titans are a brutal matchup in January. Could be a possible Super Bowl preview. And what a Super Bowl matchup that would be. I truly hope you guys enjoyed listening to that crossover Thursday conversation as much as we enjoyed playing it for you. A little bit of a uh, Easter egg there for you guys, but... But a really good conversation. I really do hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope all of you have a very safe Christmas Eve. And I will be back with you guys tomorrow morning on Christmas morning with a present for you. A game preview for the biggest game of the season. So I'll be back on a football Friday, a Christmas Friday indeed. Cannot wait for that. Hope you guys stay safe again. Happy holidays. As always, I am your host, Tyler Rowland, and this was Locked On Titans.